Hey, everybody. In this episode, you're going to absolutely love. It's probably one of the, my favorite episodes I've done in a really, really long time because Marie is a Netflix recruiter who's also worked for Star Wars and so many other entertainment and tech companies. And we really dive into the interviewing process, the steps of the interview process, the job of a recruiter, the job of the sourcer, the job of the hiring manager. We talk about what you can do to make it easier for a hiring manager and a recruiter to go, make it to go to the next round. And we even talk about behavior interviews and how to answer them properly. So check it out. Let me know what you think. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and make sure you connect with Marie because this episode is full of content and you're going to love it. Check it out. Welcome to the How to Get a Job podcast. In this podcast, we help take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you the strategies and skills required to land your dream job. So if you're ready to master your career, land the job of your dreams, listen for more. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest for you. I have Marie Ablaza, and she is a talent recruiter at Netflix in the game development studio area. And she's also has over eight years of experience. And a lot of people know her as the fairy job mother. Marie, welcome. How are you feeling? Thank today? you. Thank you. It's so good to see you. And so good to be here. Thanks for having me today, Daniel. No, thank you for accepting the invitation to be on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for always having such a positive energy. Thank you for just having, like, just wanting to help and wanting to share your knowledge with job seekers that, as you know, we've all been there. Like, we've all been in the point where we're looking for jobs and it just looks like a never-ending battle. Um, and you've been able to do it really good and have helped a lot of people. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your origin story? Tell us a little bit of how you fell into recruiting and in your career thus far. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you so much for all of that. And you're so very welcome. I love what I do. I love that I can help, um, you know, as many people as I can. And that's just always the goal and my why um, in what I do. But um, yeah, so I actually feel like I'm probably one of the few recruiters that actually picked recruiting. You probably have heard most people fall into recruiting or they never thought to get into recruiting, but they just found themselves in the profession. Um, I actually seeked it out. So when I was um, in school, I, um, you know, I majored in a bunch of different things, but I ended up um, majoring in business administration and concentrating in human resource management. Um, took on human resources, internships and roles, and then eventually uh, found that I really loved recruiting. I thought it was a good fit for my personality and just like how I want, again, to just help people. Um, and so really, that's just where it all stemmed from. Um, you know, I went to school for it and I actually turned it into my career. So again, I feel like I'm the, the far and few that actually like picked recruiting um, as my career. So. I love it. And I'm going to go through, uh, I think, you know, and, and and I know that we have this in common. We love stories, right? Like, so instead of, uh, I, you like to share a lot about stories. So I kind of <laughs> want to hear your story and then obviously infuse your advice that you would give your yeah. younger self or the, or, or the current uh, college students or recent grads that are currently looking for jobs. Yeah. So I'm looking at your, at your LinkedIn as we are speaking, right? And you started your career in retail right you is orchard supply, supply hardware as an intern and then from there you went to dolby laboratories right so like what was that like that's a, that was a shift can you tell me a little bit more about that shift and that pivot from industries 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Actually, like, I feel like that that pivot was um, almost shocking to me as well. Because like, yeah, when I started and in Orchard, and I started in retail, I really thought like, oh, retail is going to be where I I end up being because I actually really love that role. Um, But it really came down to my experience. So when I saw the posting for for Dolby Laboratories, um, it was specifically for yeah an HR intern role. Um, some of the experience that I had in my retail experience, like translated over, and I couldn't specifically remember my conversation with the recruiter at the time that was interviewing me. Um, she like really just took my resume and was like, hey, you actually did, um, you know, recruiting or you worked in recruitment um, um, at, at Orchard. What was that experience like? And, I, you know, I would just tell her like, well, this was the day to day. These were my responsibilities. These were my projects. And then she would say like, yeah, at Dolby, like, that's what I'm looking for. Like, this is what we're planning on doing. This is how, you know, the internship is going to go, et cetera. And so if anything, like she really just like broke down my experience Mm -hmm. in retail and how that would relate back into the role at Dolby. And so it wasn't even like, oh, I'm switching from retail to, um, what is it at the time? Consumer electronics slash kind of adjacent to entertainment. Yeah. Is it was really just like we just translated my skill sets to like what was needed for that role. So I didn't think that it was a an industry switch. It was just more of like, and especially early on in my career, it was really like, oh, these are just the skills and the things that I've done. And like, how can I apply that to the next thing? Yeah, I, a couple of things I think it's really interesting. I want to dive a little deeper into it. One is that there's two different types of pivot. One is you're doing the same type of job, but a different industry. And then there is one. So I think, for example, saying you're a recruiter or, or you're working HR at a retail store and then you pivot to a more entertaining or more technology type of company, mm-hmm. but a similar job, different industry. The second is same in the, I guess there's three, same industry, but different jobs. So maybe you go from HR to client success or from client or, or from HR to project management or some sort of some sort of like career pivot, like skills pivot. Or you can then do both, right? Now maybe the hardest one where you do career pivot, like where it's a different type of industry, but also a different type of job. And I think it's important to understand you if you're listening to this as a job seeker, are you making any of those pivots? And then try to correlate, like, what are the transferable skills? Like, I was talking, Marie, to a friend of mine. He has a program that helps uh, people get into medical sales. And, um, and and if you guys are looking to get into medical sales, go reach out to Samuel at Evolve Your Success. Shout out to my friend. Um, and his, like the, he's been in the industry for 15 years. The best career pivots to go into medical sales are, like, what would you guess they would be? Uh, uh, as a recruiter, like what are some transferable, totally different careers from going to medical sales, meeting with doctors? There's three main like in like career paths that make really good medical sales. Well, we put you on the spot a little bit. Oh my gosh. Um just give it your best. I'll give you that. I didn't get this right, so I don't expect you to get it right. I, I'm telling you from what I've learned now, but it, it would help the people understand a little bit of like, oh wow, I never thought about it. Yeah. Huh. I'm going to guess like maybe like relationship building, like that, that type of like partnership and rapport that you have to build. Um, Oh gosh, I don't know, like organizational, some type of organizational, like 
process building. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the three are yeah. teachers, like high school, middle school, elementary teachers. Oh. Nurses and other salespeople, like maybe not medical sales. And the reason why nurses are really good is because they understand the science. And they, they, then so the medical sales company just teach them how to sell. They understand patient care. So the medical company has to say, let me teach you about the, the, the science before, be, behind our medicine or be, behind our medical device. And you could build relationships really well as a nurse. Yeah. Teachers, they're able to teach a complex subject to people that don't know it. And that's what medical, like medicine is. Like if you're like, hey, take this drug and it, it, it'll go, you go to a doctor and like, hey, we have this brand new drug. You're teaching the doctor something that they don't know, a new science because it's, it, it's a new drug, right? And yeah. that's why those two professions make. And so like, I, what my takeaway for anybody that's listening to is like, you want to make a career or pivot? Sure. But look at like, what are what makes somebody successful in that job? And do you have those transferable skills? Because what I think, and then going back to the second point that I really want to dive into here with you is the recruiter that you had at, at Dolby, I'm, I'm probably, I have terrible pronunciation, um, must have been a really good recruiter to take in the time to look between the lines to understand that you did have those skill sets. And it wasn't one of those recruiters that we kind of like, I, I, I do feel bad that sometimes recruiters have a bad reputation as like yeah. reject, reject, reject. But I, I'm, I, I, I'm willing to bet that most recruiters actually joined recruiting in HR to help. And that recruiter that you had took the time to get to understand you a little better, took the time to look at your resume a little bit deeper. And that made a difference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that like, I, again, I remember the conversation, it was like going line per line. Like she was like, Hey, you said that you did this at, at Orchard, like, tell me a little bit more about that. And so like, I was able to communicate like, Hey, that's what that bullet point actually meant. Right. Cause I mean, your resume is only a short and sweet, like, yeah. you know, one liner per bullet point. And so the fact that she asked me about it and actually told me to break it down like I was able to speak more about like just the experiences that that I had like what I was actually doing you know when I said oh I'm working on this project she was like tell me more about that project who are you working with what are your deadlines you're working in where are you getting resources from you know like are you working by yourself are you working with a team are you collaborating like tell me about the entire process um and yeah, I was actually, you know, able to share all of those in detail, um, which then, you know, I feel like that's how, you know, the conversation really started going into like the actual alignment of the role, because then she would say, yeah, that's great that you worked with a team or you worked or collaborated with different um, groups and departments and stakeholders, because in this role at Dolby, I'm going to have a project where we need to work with marketing and sales and PR and etc. And like, I need someone who is able to, um, you know, to be able to build rapport with all of those people to get what we need to get this project going, right. And so like, and then when like, she explained that to me, like, I was able to continue to say like, Oh, I totally know what you mean by that. Because like, in another project, I did x, y, and z that related to what she said. Right. So no, I think like her being a great a recruiter, like, yeah, breaking it down and really wanting to understand, like, what are my actual experiences and steps that I take in my day to day 
like, yeah, she actually took the time to say like, oh, that's what I'm looking for in this role versus, you know, maybe just like, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. But she actually like captured what I said and said, this is how it would apply. Right. And I think yeah. that part is like huge. I, I, I love that. And I just, I wonder, right? Like, because we can't control who we interview with, right? Like if I'm a candidate, I'm applying, I can't, I can't decide, oh, no, Mary, I don't want to interview with you. Can I interview? Like, it doesn't happen, right? So what can a candidate do? Like, what advice, like, to, if I can't control who's interviewing me, I can't control how, how good they are at, at, at pulling the information they need to make an, exact, uh, you know, an, an informed decision. What can the job seeker, the candidate do to make it easier for the interviewer to interview them? Yeah, that's a great question. I always tell my candidates, like, come with um, examples, like legit examples of your experiences, like pull from what you've done, you know, people you've worked with, projects that you um, are working on, deliverables that you have, like really pull um really pull examples. Because even on the other side of the house, like sometimes I have hiring managers who will tell me, you know what, I talked to a candidate and they couldn't give me examples. So I don't know if they can do this job. And I'm like, oh, interesting, right? And so like, that's an insight that I feel like, you know, yeah, anyone who's listening right now, like hiring managers, teams that are interviewing you, they want to know examples. And sometimes they may just not say it, right? And, and kind of to your point, Daniel, where it's like, you know, you can't control who's interviewing you. Sometimes a recruiter or sometimes um, a hiring manager may not actually say like, Daniel, please give me an example. They may not yeah. actually say that. But yeah, my advice is come with those examples, you know, really make sure that your answer um, to the question has, um, you know, examples of like how you executed on on that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And then also, like, don't be afraid to ask questions to them. Like if you gave an example, follow it up and say, hey, I gave you an example on that question that you asked me. Is that what you are looking for? Or is there more that I can expand on? Is there a piece that was missing? Um, you know, please let me know if there's anything else I can add, because I, I'm sharing this example. But of course, um, please, you know, guide me in the direction of what you would want to hear. And you know, I can speak more about it. So like, you can also, um, you know, control pieces of the conversation in that sense of like, just asking a follow up, like, did that answer the question? Is that what you wanted to hear? Is that this type of experience that you're looking for in this role? Um, the level of experience? Is there more that you want to hear, et cetera? So, you know, definitely don't feel afraid to, um, you know, tap into like following up. All right. As a major thank you for listening to my podcast, I have just let our career coaches know to open up their calendar for limited time only, limited spaces only to our loyal podcast listeners. So if you are currently a STEM student looking for a job in the next 90 days or graduate in the next year, you want our help, schedule a call with our team for free for a free strategy session, limited time only, link in the show notes. See you there. No, absolutely. So if I understood you're right, like it's like those examples allow them to see like what you did in the past because past performance is a good indicator of future performance, which is like the main reason why those behavioral questions come in, like tell me about a time where you've had to work with a difficult client or a difficult customer, odds are is because the reason why they're asking you that is because you're probably going to deal with difficult customers in this role that you're coming in. And so how you handled it in the past is a good indicator of how you handle it in the future. Um, and, and 
I wanted to share my experience and I would love to hear if it, if you, if it was a similar experience or if you have a different point of view or a different perspective on it, which is obviously great if you do. Um, so from, from my experience, it's unique because I come from a, I was at PepsiCo for six years in a management training program. And I come from more of a higher manager's shoes that was really passionate about recruitment. So I was like volunteering to go to campus recruitment. And I told the HR person who was covering five different schools, I said, don't worry, I got UCF, right? And so I did the info sessions. I did a career fair. I had the relationship with career services. Mm-hmm. I did the first round of interviews on campus. And then for internships, I was a decision maker for the management training program. They moved to the director level, right? Mm-hmm. And what I realized is not only from my time at PepsiCo and just having conversations with other recruiters, most companies, if not all major companies, have interview guides, like have, have like interview sheets that the hiring manager, even the recruiters should follow. No, and main reason that I know that PepsiCo did it was to create a process so that it's standard across the Orlando office, the LA office, the New York office, because if you have a process, we can get predictable results and we can get behavioral questions and be able to quantify them and score them. And at the end, be able to add up the score and and have a really black and white, should we move forward with them or not kind of thing. So it kind of, takes the emotion out of it. A lot of, uh, some of that is for, we can get similar, like it's all very similar across the board throughout the company. Also to protect uh, from the interviewer asking questions that can be caused for discrimination. So protecting the HR side of it, right? Totally, yeah. Now, we agree on that, right? Yes. The questions that are in those things are questions that are, to figure out how you would handle situations that will happen at your job, going back to that example of, of, of the thing. And so my advice to students or even job seekers is you're never going to see those guides. And sometimes they leak on the website, on the internet, but generally that's very confidential information you, and, and companies protect that for, for, for really important reasons is we don't like, we want to see how you answer. We don't want you to memorize an answer and be ready for it in, in a sense, totally. right? But the way I, I always thought about it, it's like if you read the job description and you network with enough people within the department and you understand like what the day-to-day looks like, you can kind of predict the questions that are coming. Maybe not to the exact word for word, mm-hmm. but you can have a general idea or what are some of the stories that you should come up with. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a there's a difference between like you mentioned those behavioral questions, right? Like tell me about a time you did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is like a change in in how questions are being asked now in the interview process where they're now like situational, which I think is what you're mm-hmm. alluding to where it's like, how would you do this actually on the job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think having answers to both is so good to prepare for because it's like, yes, here's how I did it before. <clears throat> like, how did I handle a... Um, how did I handle a difficult customer? Well, in the past, I did X, Y, and Z. Um, but then the question could be flipped around of like, well, how would you deal with a disgruntled customer, um, you know, here on this job? You know, right. like instead of saying, well, this is how I did it in the past, you can say, well, this is what I did it, how I did it in the past but I would also do this, right? Mm-hmm. So like you change your answer so that it is very much like forward thinking. Um, and I think that's the the place where I think, yeah, sometimes get, people get hung up because they just keep talking about like, oh, well, this is how I've done it. This is how I've done it. 
But when you get asked the situational question of how would you do something in the future, that is an opportunity for you to highlight like, hey, this is how I think this is how I would actually perform on the job. Mm-hmm. These are things that um, that I would take into consideration in that particular situation or how I would solve that problem. Here's who I would tap into. These are resources that I would um, that I would anchor to or et cetera. Um, and that gives the, the recruiter or the hiring manager or whoever's interviewing you an idea of like, oh, this is how they're thinking forward, right? Like this is how they're proactively thinking about that situation. Um, so, so yeah, so I agree. Like when you, yeah, there is definitely a subset of, of standard questions that, you know, recruiters or hiring managers have to ask, but there's always going to be a blend of how did you do it in the past? Like what was your process then? Um, but they also want to see like, okay, if we get, if we put you in that same situation a month from now, how would you, how would you actually handle it? Right. So like thinking about your answer from that perspective of like, this is how future me would do it. Um, that could totally set you up for success because like that shows like, oh, this is what this, this is how Daniel would act, you know, and this is how he would actually be on the job if we hired him. It's, it's so interesting. Um. I, I think for me, it's like, I always try to think of ways, how, what, like, what would I want a candidate to do to make it really easy for me to make a decision? Like, like, like I, I go back and I remember just sitting in those interviews and being on the other side of the table, right? Because that's what you do now all the time. But like when I would do it, right? And I'm like, what could have, what could have a candidate do to just make it really easier? And so I have a question for you. If, a, yeah. if you ask a behavioral question, like tell me about a time where you had to deal with a difficult manager as an example, but it's, it's phrases that behavioral question, but I've never dealt with that difficult manager, right? Would you rather me make up a story or say, hey, Marie, to be honest, I've been fortunate enough not to have dealt with a difficult manager, but if I did have a difficult manager, here's how I would handle it. Yeah, for sure. And that's a great way to do it. Um, I think another way is even if you didn't handle a difficult manager, you've probably dealt with difficult people, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you can so you can actually approach it two ways, just like you said. So one way you can say, hey, I've never dealt with the difficult manager, but I have dealt with difficult customers or people, etc. You know, maybe professors yeah. or students whoever, faculty, et cetera, I've dealt with those types of difficult people. And this is how I handled it. However, if I did have, you know, an opportunity to like have a situation where I had to deal with a a difficult manager, I would take the the learnings from, from these past experiences, Mm -hmm. but I would also apply X, Y, and Z. So you kind of approach it, um, you know, from both angles, right? Like I don't have the experience, but I have transferable experiences, right? Talking about those transferable skills again, I can take from those experiences in the past that could still be relatable and then set my answer up for success and saying, but this is also how I would handle it if that particular situation actually happened. I, I, yeah, I love that because I think it's it's important to remember, like, as a as a hiring manager or as a recruiter, like, like more than what story you come up with, I want to see your train of thought, right? Like, because I just want to see how you think through the problem, because that's more important than the actual story you could come up with. Like, I, that's more important if you got an A in the project or an F in the project. It's the learning lessons behind it and how that has changed your mindset or 
change your behavior or change the way you handle a particular situation. Yeah, absolutely. No, and you hit on something right there. Yeah, like I, I know the difference between someone who like prepared an answer versus someone who's thinking on the spot. And someone who's thinking on the spot, like I feel like that calls for like, you know, a much more interesting conversation because I know like, okay, I'm going to ask more follow-up questions. I'm going to ask more qualifying questions. I'm going to like ask more about like that one particular thing they said. Um, and, and that helps the conversation to go on. Cause I know when people only prepare answers, when I ask more follow-up, they they're start like, getting uh, stuck. Yeah. Because yeah. they're like, Oh, I didn't prepare for that question. Right. So you're so right. Like learning how, like still have answers, right. Still prep your answers. There's nothing wrong with that, but also practice for like when, um, yeah, like thinking on the fly, thinking on the spot, you know, also comes at you in these interviews. Yeah. And, and I, I, I maybe I just want to make sure I clarify. And if you disagree, like, please let me know. It's not that you don't want someone to prepare for the interview. It's that you just don't want mem- people memorizing answers because they think those questions are coming. Right. Like, like proper right. preparation. It's good. Like, it's a good thing. But you don't want to sound robotic that you're just like you're just sat home and memorize the answers. Like, this is not like a college test where. You memorize the answers, took the test, got a name, 30 minutes later, forgot. We care more about, can you actually do what you said you memorized? Like that's becomes more important. And that's where, for me, it's more important that you work on, on understanding the frameworks and how to answer it. So like, I, I like the STAR method and there's different methods, but like the STAR method is simple, but that framework of knowing how to answer something with a situation, task, action, result, and even mm-hmm. add what you learned to it is right. more important than you finding it, Googling a list of questions online and then coming up with 10 different stories and, and then just memorizing 10 stories and then being able to right. play with those. Like, and that's what I think, Maria, is, correct me if I'm wrong, that's what you mean is like, not that you shouldn't prepare for the interview, is that you shouldn't memorize the answers to the interview. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like give yourself time to be flexible, right? Because yeah. if it's like, um, hey, Daniel, tell me about, um, you know, tell me, tell me your strengths. Right. And you say, Oh, well, these are my top three strengths. And then I ask you, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about the first one that you mentioned. You probably like, Oh, I didn't think I would have to talk more about that. Right. Then you start getting stuck because it's like, Oh, I only prepared my answers for what my strengths are, but I didn't prepare to, um, you know, actually talk it out. Right. And so like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean, where it's like, don't just memorize an answer, but be able to know like, okay, anything can be asked in this question, right? Follow up and qualifying questions can be added. How, how will I react to those? And how can I also be like nimble, right? Like nimble to think on my feet. Um, You know, how will I handle answering that if it just comes out on a fly, right? Cause that, cause that's the part that, um, you know, you're not going to be able to do that on the job all the time is like memorize answers, right? Because you're going to be in a presentation and you might have like all your questions prepared and answered, but (sighs) the CEO might come in and be like, actually, I have a question about X, Y, and Z, and you didn't prepare for that. Like then you start getting stuck, right? So, you know, that's stuff where, yeah, you want to prepare, right? Like you can still expect those questions and still have answers ready, um, but know when and where to be, to be nimble and to be flexible when, you know, you might be faced with questions that you might not see coming. Absolutely. I think to me is what's important is to be like, why are they asking that question? So like, if they ask you a question about, tell me at a time where you had to work with a difficult manager, 
Like I, I want to, I, I, in my head, before I even give my answer is, why are they asking me this question? And then come up with an answer or a story that really answers the underlying question that's behind it. Like why, like the reason behind that question. So let's transition. I, I think this was a really great conversation, but I, I going back to your LinkedIn, um, you've worked at, at different companies. So you worked at Lucasfilms, so like Star Wars, right? Ubisoft mm-hmm. and now Netflix. And in those in the in that time, you've gone from human resource intern to staffing coordinator to recruiter coordinator to associate recruiter, rec- senior talent acquisition specialist, and then talent acquisition recruiter. And I guess what I'm saying, what I'm saying all that because I think you there there's a lot of titles within recruiting. Can you just explain a little bit of what what the difference between what a sourcer does, what a recruiter does, or what an HR does? Because I think a lot of people would just think recruiters is one bucket and and there's differences, but what, what are the main differences and what are the responsibilities and, and how, what does that mean to a job seeker? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, it's really funny. I went to school for HR, right? And so yeah. like, and when I was learning HR, like recruiting was actually of like not even part of it. And this was like back when I was in school. Now it's kind of like housed together. And it also depends on the company, right? Like HR mm-hmm. and recruiting like might be under the same umbrella. Um, but, but yeah, but if you just think of recruiting itself, like recruiting is really like, you know, those people who are actively seeking, um, you know, to fill open positions, you know, in their company. Right. So I guess I'll break it down. So sourcers, right. You mentioned sourcers. So sourcers typically are the folks who are just looking for candidates, right. They might be looking for like active candidates, people who are like open to, to work right? Like people who are looking for jobs, um, or they could be looking for passive candidates, meaning like, um, they're just on LinkedIn, they see someone, hey, Daniel has a skill set for my open senior game designer role, I'm going to reach out to him, he may not be looking at this time, but he has the experience that I'm looking for. So I'm going to reach out to him and say, hey, I have this open position, you know, I don't know if you're open to, um, you know, a new opportunity right now, but how, you know, how about we we chat about it? Right. So that's usually what um, a sorcerer is doing. They're really out there um, strategizing on like how to find candidates, whether they're active or, or again, passive. Right. Um, recruiters, they're pretty much the ones who are doing like what we call like full cycle. Right. So they are they could be doing some sourcing, but they are also very much um, you know aligned with looking at um, active applicants who are coming through, um, you know, their ATS system also plugged most recruiters are looking at resumes. I have not heard of a bot that does that, but that's another conversation. Um, But, you know, recruiters are looking at applications that are coming in for those positions and, you know, setting up recruiter screens, um, talking to candidates, seeing if there's alignment, and then they're the ones who are really moving the candidate along in the process to talk with the hiring manager, move to a panel, um, do technical tests, etc. So they're really moving those people along. And then, of course, like, should you get the job Typically, the recruiter is a person who's, um, you know, giving you the offer, walking you through offer letters, um, you know, helping you get to that um, point where you sign it and then like start onboarding with the company. Um, 
recruiting coordinators. So those are um, pretty much like the right hand men and women and people who um, work with the recruiters, like they are the ones who are doing schedulings, right? Like really making sure that all the logistics of like the actual recruitment process are, you know, up to date. Usually they're the ones who might be like posting jobs. They might be reaching out to candidates for like availability to get schedules. Um, you know, they're sending confirmations. They might be sending like um, benefits information, right, to um, to the candidates so that they have all that information as they're going into their interviews um, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, so those are typically who um, the, the coordinators are. They're really kind of like the running that show and making sure those logistics are, um, you know, are are up to snuff and and confirmed. Okay, Does that I help answer the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, cool. just for simplicity, I'm not sure they kind of like understand this too, right? Like just the sourcer generally is the one that's like just finding the candidates, uh, whether they're uh, looking and have open to work, or even if they're looking, they're working for a competitor that they have the skill set. So we're reaching out, hey, are you open to new opportunities, right? The recruiter generally they do the full cycle. They're the one who posts the job. They're they're probably working on a handful of jobs at a time. They're the ones who are the the liaison between the hiring manager of the company and the candidate, right? So they're the ones who like maybe do the conversation and and have the dialogue. And then the, the recruiter coordinator, which is not all companies have them, they're kind of like the assistant to the recruiter. So like they'll be like, hey, these are the candidates that we want to interview. Reach out to them, schedule them, work with the hiring manager, find out their schedule, and kind of. Put the pieces together that way the right. recruiter can handle more roles versus only being able to handle three with their recruiter coordinator maybe able to handle six right and um and the recruiter has more experience and so you can find someone who, who's maybe starting now becomes to gain experience to work underneath a, a senior recruiter to build that skill set right. now um when does the hiring manager come in like so the the like the recruiter is for for what and also depends on the company right sometimes the hiring manager has a role works with the recruiter to get it posted but right. so that happens when does the hiring manager get involved in this and in, in, in general and every company could be a little different so I completely yeah different. for sure for sure yeah and in, in all of my career the hiring manager is there from day one if they want to start opening up a role you know they reach out to the to the recruiter we work with them to really like have um, you know, what we call like intake meetings where yeah. we sit down with the hiring manager and they say, hey, I'm looking for a marketing intern. Okay, tell us what this person is going to do. What, you know, like, what is this person going to do? Who are they going to be working with? What are projects they're going to be working on? What are skill sets that we're looking for? Um usually the recruiter will work with them to also strategize where we're going to find them, right? Like if it's an intern, it's like, are we going to just post on a career site? Are we mm -hmm. going to post to a certain school? Are we going to post to a certain organization? Um, and so really like recruiters, you know, really think of them as like strategic partners to the hiring managers because like we loop them in and they're part of the conversation, like from the very beginning. And then once yeah. we get the role posted, right? Like I might be sourcing, I might be looking for candidates. I see who's applying. I'm talking to my hiring manager. Hey, I found Daniel. He's a really great, you know, he's got great marketing experience. He's majoring in marketing right now. He wants to get into video games. Um, you know, what do you think about his profile? Usually I'm there with the hiring manager to like download, you know, really like take a download of that type of application or resume and walk them through like, hey, this might be someone we might want to consider, right? Yeah. And then even though I do my phone screens and I talk to the candidate, 
after I talk to the candidate, I go back to the hiring manager. Hey, I talked with Daniel. He's actually really great. Here are some of the highlights that um, we talked about. This is where I feel like his skill sets would be really beneficial for this role. Um, I really recommend that you talk to, to Daniel as the next step, right? And so like really the hiring manager and the recruiter like should always be in sync throughout the process. Um, because that's what the like a true partnership is. And again, like, you know, it's it's changed. I think before, um, you know, recruiters kind of were this, um, what is it? Like kind of like, oh, they're just like on call. Like they're just like, oh, they're order takers, right? Yeah. Like hiring manager says I need this and the recruiter goes and does the thing. Now it's very much like a partnership where the hiring manager should always know where the recruiter is, like always where in the process they are, you know, are they mm -hmm. only doing recruiting screens? Have we moved people to manager screens? Are people taking technical tests right now? Like the hiring manager would always know those things. Um, and so, yeah, so they're really like always there. Yeah. And, and I wanted, I want you guys for the listeners to really understand why this is, why it's such a best practice to do that. Like, let's talk about technical, like a software engineer. Like, so there's a manager of software engineer for a particular project. His full time is to develop this project. His full time is not to find a candidate. So if there's openings in his team, whether there's more additional headcounts because the, there's more budget to the project because we want to finish faster or if somebody left or somebody got promoted for whatever reason, the job's open. The hiring manager then, once the, the headcount has been approved, partners with the recruiter, gets assigned to a recruiter to fill that role, right? And so when you talk about the intake call, that's like a conversation to be like, so what are you looking for? Like, what programming languages do you need? Like, what technical skills are the must? What are nice to haves, right? So like, and that's kind of what you see in the job description, like must have this, like be right. a positive if they have this, right? And, and that's where the recruiter comes in and says, all right, Mr. Highlander, continue to work on your team, continue developing the app. I'll keep you updated. I'll go post this. I'll go go to our partners, I'll go work with our staffing agencies, I'm going to go find you the best candidates. You get, let's say, 250 applications on average. The hiring manager doesn't see all of them because that's way too much. So the sourcer and then the recruiter will filter them, whether looking at manually, having their phone screens, and saying, hey, I found this 20 people I think you really should check out, yep. right? And then that hiring manager might look at all 20 resumes and say, hey, Marie, I just want to interview this 15. I think this five don't really match what I'm looking for, brings them in. And then, and that's kind of works. So it's a team, team effort. It really is yeah. a, a team effort. For sure. And you hit, there's two things there that I really like that you mentioned. So one of them is um, that is, yeah, like the, when the recruiter and the hiring manager are in sync, um, because like you said, the hiring manager is like actually on this project or working yeah. on something. And so that's their full time. Um, that's always great for the recruiter to know too, because what if the, what if things change with the project, right? So then at least like, Hey, Marie, you know, we're working on this XYZ project, but now like things are changing that might actually impact the role that we're hiring for. So like that collaboration, like helps me to like, okay, do I need a course correct? You know, like the candidates that we have in the pipeline, are they still, um, you know, are they still what we're looking for? Do we need to change course, change strategy, et cetera. Um, so like that partnership is so important for recruiters to have with the hiring manager because their work might be changing and that could impact what I'm hiring for. Right. right. So like being in sync there is great. Um, and then the second thing is um, that calibration piece is really important to have. Like you said, I send my hiring manager, hey, here's 20 resumes and applications. What do you think? 
oh, out of the out of the 20, only five of them are actual viable candidates. Oh, tell me why. Right. And sometimes like my hiring manager will tell me, well, like, well, this person doesn't have enough of this or this person's not, yeah. um, you know, doesn't have the skill sets that I'm looking for. or It's not exactly aligned to the job description. Right. And so like that is information for me to actually start course correcting my search so that like if the if the hiring manager like those five profiles, I'm going to start finding more of those five profiles. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then that yeah. is aligning to what we're looking for. I want to add a couple, and I know we're running out of time, but this has been so good. So, like, uh, a couple of things that I want to add that's really important is, like, understand this, like, a, a good recruiter becomes a consultant to the hiring manager, like a business mm -hmm. partner to the hiring yes. manager. And what their expertise to the table comes in is a lot of hiring managers might come and be like, hey, Marie, I am looking for someone that has A, B, and C, and D, and Y, and my budget is $100,000. And Marie mm -hmm. can be like, Hey Daniel, that's great, but you're not gonna find somebody like that unless you're willing to pay 150. And if we don't have that budget, we're gonna have to prioritize on like what we're trying to do. So the expectations of a hiring manager could be like a seven-year-old Christmas list, right? Like this, what I really right? want. And yes. the recruiter should be able to be like, oh, with the market, with what's going on in the market, like that's unrealistic expectations. But sure, we can go for it, or like let's change this so that like it's that communication that needs to happen. Um, yes. and I think it's really important to understand the second thing I think is important to understand, like, and, and this is where, like, when you see technical recruiters or recruiters is like, at the end of the day, like, it's going to be hard. And there are recruiters out there who are really, really good. And they've been there for doing it for so long. It's going to be really hard for the recruiter to know as much technically speaking than the hiring manager, right? The hiring manager is full-time working on that technology. And so a lot of times the recruiter, they're just looking to check the boxes of like, do you have five years of Python experience? They might not be experienced writing Python code, code themselves. And so that's where when, you, when sometimes when you, if you're a candidate that you get past the first round and then you get eliminated halfway, it might be because the hiring manager did a filter and like, hey, I don't know if his experience really matches. Maybe the technical assessment took you out. So it's really important to understand those things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like the technical side of things, like it's just a different beast, I think, yeah. in itself. Um, but but yeah, but there's, you know, it's not just like, oh, can you do, you know, can you write in this language or write in this yeah. code, but also the depth of that experience, right? Because like, um, if the hiring manager is really working on like a very like critical project, mm -hmm. like if someone's like, oh, I only coded once on like a small project, even though you have that coding experience, like the depth of it, you yeah. know, like just doesn't align. Right. So like you also have to understand, um, yeah, like the depth of experience, how wide, how deep, you know, do these experiences go? Because um, because, yeah, because I think some people get caught up in just like, oh, well, it asked for X, Y, Z. I have that. But it's like, yeah, but tell me like the actual experience. And that's why kind of going back to our conversation earlier about like actually having examples like those mm. can be telling of like how deep or wide you know someone's experience is with that thing marie like this has been awesome like i we've i can't believe it's been like 40 minutes since we started recording um <laughs> but if somebody wants to go into you know like the gaming industry or you know the entertainment gaming technology industry what advice do you have as we wrap up this podcast yeah, that's a really, really great question. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the things we talked about um, in, in this episode um, definitely relate, I think, early on, right? So we talk about transferable skills. 
Um, don't underestimate like skills that you have in under in other industries, other companies, because like they can be translated, you know, to, you know, gaming mm-hmm. or to the entertainment industry, but like how you tell that story, um, is so important. Right. Um, I also think, um, you know, if you want to get into these industries, like start acting as if you are in these industries, right? Like I think about it on like LinkedIn, right? Like if you want to be part of gaming, start talking about gaming, you know, flood your feed with gaming content, right? Follow people who are in gaming, follow people who are making games, follow people who are talking about gaming, writing blogs about gaming, right? Like just start, um, yeah, creating your your ecosystem around Mm -hmm. that thing that you love and then start engaging in it. Right. So like start posting, start commenting, start having conversations, reply back to people, um, you know, about those things that you are passionate about. Um, Because I think, you know, and this was kind of like an outside conversation you and I had, Daniel, but like, you know, the what is it? The barrier of entry to entry into gaming or entertainment. It still seems like a very high bar. Right. It still feels like it's so hard to get in here. Um, and I think, I think it is like, sometimes I still do see that. And especially as a recruiter, um, you know, it's a hard thing to, to see it's still the reality. Um, but I I've seen a lot of success in people who just like, you know, there's really something to say about like how you translate those skills as well as like how you show your passion for, for that space. Right. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't have any gaming experience. It doesn't like sometimes it's like you don't have to have or start with gaming experience to get into gaming. Like, what are experiences that you've had that can be translated over? Also, show how excited you are about that space, right? And again, that goes back to what I said about like start creating your circles around, um, you know, the industries or the things that you want to be in. Um, because sometimes just having profiles or a LinkedIn or even a resume um, that's optimized that screams like, oh, I want to be in this industry. Like that can help because people start seeing you as like, oh, Daniel really wants to be in gaming. Like he doesn't have exact gaming experience, but he's always commenting on gaming things. He's always posting. He's blogging about it. Like he's actually now an active participant, you know, in that space. Um, And I think like that just can also help like brand you as someone who wants to be there. I love it. Marie, this has been awesome. If people want to learn more about what you do or connect with you, what is the best way? Yeah, just on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn's where you can find me. I also got a website that's linked to it. Um, But yeah, you can find me there. I would attach uh, Marie's LinkedIn on the show notes. So make sure you connect with her and follow her. Marie, you have been awesome. And for everybody that's listening, thank you so much and catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you. Well, if you're listening to this, you have made it to the end of the episode. In the time of distraction, the fact that you're listening to this means you truly care about your career. And to reward you for that, my team and I will be hosting free one-on-one strategy sessions for podcast listeners only. So if you want to get a strategy session to speak with me or someone on my team, look at the link in the show notes to schedule your free call. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode.